The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, hello, church. I hope you're doing well. This is Pastor Darren, and uh, I hope you're doing well and had a great Thanksgiving weekend. This morning, if you're joining us for the first time, we are here to teach about God's Word. We're excited to uh, enter a new season. We've been doing kind of one-off, standalone sermons for a while. We're going to keep doing those. Today's topic is refreshing truths about Jesus. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1 this morning, and he'll be uh, teaching us some basic truths of the faith, which I pray during this time are very beneficial to you, very encouraging to you, and I pray that they point you back to the Savior Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and let me grab my Bible here, and we will start this morning about uh, hearing the Word of God. So we'll pray, and we'll get in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You know what? Actually, we will read first, and I'll be reading out of the ESV Bible. Uh, Very familiar words to many of you, but great reminders for us nonetheless. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and yet the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came, verse 11, to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will, nor the flesh, or will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And John goes on to write, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So if you're joining us, my name is Darren Smith. We're from Tower View Baptist Church, and we are here to, to honor Christ, to lift him up. And if you're well, if you're visiting for the first time, thank you. If you're if you're a regular Tower View member, thank you for joining us. But I want to pray with you. I want to get into these refreshing truths about Christ. We're just pretty much going to jump right into the text today and, and just go through what the Bible says about our Savior. Then we'll apply it at the end. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for taking care of us, Lord. Thank you for giving us all that we need in your Son, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you help us to just see you through this passage. For those who've read this before, studied this before, may this be glorifying to your name. For the others, Lord, who are new to this, may they be drawn by your Spirit and humbled in their sin to know the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this is uh, one of the great chronological texts that we have in the Bible. We have one of these things in the Bible, and, 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 and we know that all these texts that I'm about to read to you speak about one person, the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, 6-11, through 11, we are told about the great humiliation of Christ, how he, con- he came down to, to live with us, and he didn't consider it anything to, to, to bring uh, himself to us. He loved us that much. Colossians 1, 15-20 tells us that Jesus is over all creation. In fact, he's before all things. He's preeminent above all things. In Hebrews 1, 1-3, it tells us that before the prophets uh, were spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, but now God has spoken once and for all through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in John 1, 1-18, which I just read, we have the incarnation where it says Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. And so John's prologue here, John's introduction, is the foyer to the rest of the gospel. All of its major themes are found right here in these verses. And this is laid out both, both rhythmically. There's, there's some rhythm to this. It's, it's very poetic in a sense. But even in English, it reads that way. But it's also deep in its theology and its, its ocean. Its basic truths can be understood even by a child. And so God became a man, is what this says. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And all who receive and believe in him can become children of God. And that's the great news. That is the story that we believe. That in this truth, in this very thing, we have the truth of the gospel. And so this is what we know. So we're going to highlight about 11, maybe 12 truths from this passage that teach us about Jesus Christ. And this is that time of year where people are more enthralled, it seems, culturally about our Savior. We could preach this in July or March, whenever. The truths of the the season are always going to be the same. But I want you especially to see these things. So the very first refreshing truth I want you to see in verses 1 to 2 is that the Word has always existed. It said in John 1.1, In the beginning which makes an immediate connection back to Genesis 1.1. When time began and the universe began, the the word was already there. Verse 2 simply kind of repeats verse 1 here. It says, He, the word, was in the beginning with God. The Greek word for for word is is, is logos or logos, and it's rich in meaning. And we must reflect on this because it speaks so much to this. The word has always existed. And John uses this word evangelistically. He uses this as a mission point for Christians. And he uses this cross-culturally as well, you could say. You see, to the Jews, the word of God denoted God in action, especially in creation. To the Greeks, that word was how everything existed. But, but, the, but the logos, the word, is impersonal and utterly unreachable is what the Greeks said. But in John, in John 1, the word has always existed. It never, as the 4th century heretic Arius said, there was once when he was not. And that's just not true. The Word always has existed. That's the first point I want you to see. It's that your God has always existed. Our God does not answer to someone else. He does not uh, you know, give, as the Greek gods thought, um, a case to the tribunal of gods. The buck stops with him. There is one God, and the Word has always existed. That's number one. The second point, and these are quick points, guys. The second is that the Word is God. The Word is God. And as we read through this verse, keep in mind that the author, John, who's a Jew, is writing to an audience who is also Jewish. And so when he says the Word was God, it means a face-to-face intimate relationship. You know, 
It said in Exodus that Moses had a face-to-face intimate relationship, but even greater here. The word was God is a clear and unambiguous declaration that Jesus Christ is God. Now, our Jehovah's Witnesses friends will will, will, will do some gymnastics uh, in in the Greek with 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 this phrase. The word was God, but it's clear. It's always been taught this way. It's clear. The word, who is the Son, in verse fourteen, is distinct from the Father. Also, verse fourteen. Though distinct from the Father, we believe the Son is equal to the Father in deity, in being God. And whatever it is that makes God, God, the Word, is all of that. That's what we know. The Word is God. And and that's what we hang our hats on. The Word is God. And so the the Son, Jesus Christ, is co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful, etc. with the Father. The Word is not some God or mostly God. Jesus Christ is fully and completely God. You can read about that in John 10.30. You can read about that in John 14.9. It's all over the place. But He's God. And friends, that's why it's so important, especially around these days. You know, our Jehovah's Witnesses, friends, you might have gotten one of these, are writing out personal handwritten notes because they can't go door knocking during COVID. So they're literally writing notes and sending them to you. They look like spam, but someone has painstakingly wrote, written out a script, putting your name and, and those things in there. But they will argue with you that, that Jesus is not God. But friend, Jesus is God. The word has always been God. If Jesus isn't God, then your salvation is nothing. It means nothing. So the word has existed, the word is God, but notice thirdly here that the word is creator. The word is creator. So you recall Colossians 1.16 that everything was made him by him and through him. And, and if he made everything, he cannot be a creature. Note in verse 3 that it says all things, not some things again or most things. But to a Jew, writing this to a Jewish audience, they would have understood immediately connecting this back to Genesis 1 and 2. To say that the Word, who is Jesus, is the Creator, is to say that the Word is God. And friends, that's what it takes. You know, some people will say, you know, uh, it takes more faith to believe in something you can't see. Well, friend, we believe in Hebrews 11, it says, that we believe by faith that God created the heavens. And that's what we believe. So we are not the, 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 the you know, the random um, gobbledygook that became something through evolution. We are created in the image of God. And it's this, the word, this Jesus, who is the creator. That's number three. Number four, the word gives life. The word gives life. This is life and light are closely connected themes. Life is used 43 times in this gospel. Light is used at least 16, 17 times, depending on your translation. But in the fourth gospel, they're usually related around salvation, how we get saved. But through here, the context would also include creation, that the word gives life. Is Jesus the source of life? We'll we'll ask Lazarus, John 11. Ask Mary and Martha. In John 11, Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he shall die, yet he shall live. And so, is Jesus the source of eternal life? Yes. Hear his words to Thomas, those famous words in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the word is life. But you go on there to verses 4 and 5, and and you know this is a powerful spiritual life. As a spiritual life, the word is also the source of spiritual life. 
light, excuse me. He is the one who gives light both physically to the blind and spiritually to the blind eyes as well. John 8, 12, quoting here, he's, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. So is Jesus the light of the world? Yes. Well, ask the blind man in John 9. He opened his eyes physically, Jesus did, but he also opened his eyes spiritually. And if you're not a Christian and you're watching this or you're, you know, you're listening to this at some point, you need to have that open as well. This, this fifth point is very clear because the world is blinded by darkness, of death, of evil, of judgment, unbelief, and wickedness. John 3.19, again quoting Jesus, he says, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And again in John 12, 46, let me quote this. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. So friends, yes, there is a sense in which Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light. The word is the light. So the light shines forth from the word and is light is, is light of both the creator and the savior. And this light cannot be beaten. It's like when you turn on a light and there's cockroaches, they scatter everywhere. So we are. And it will be something that unless you come to know Jesus Christ, you will never understand those words. This light cannot be beaten. I want you to know, sixthly, that the greatest man who ever bore lived witness to the word. John kind of interrupts here in John 1, 6 through 8 and verse 15. Uh, in Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said this about John the Baptist. He said, truly, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist has appeared. So you're talking of all the people of the world. And Jesus being the greatest, he's God in human flesh. But among Jesus' words, he declared there's no one greater outside of himself who's not God than John the Baptist. And John was sent by God as a witness, it says there in verse 6, that all might believe. And, and, and John the Baptist was a man. He's not a Messiah. We see that in verse 6. John the Baptist was a witness. He's not the word, verse 7. John the Baptist was a lamp, but not the light, verse 8. John the Baptist was a prophet, verse 15, but he wasn't a savior. John the Baptist was a servant, but he wasn't the son of God, verse 15. John the Baptist was important, but he was indispensable. And that's a note for us too. In John 3, Jesus says, uh, John says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And so John was important, but he was not indispensable. John the Baptist had cru crucially been a significant position. He was the forerunner, but he was not supremely preeminent. Jesus was before John and greater than John. And almost all that is said about John can be applied to our, uh, our global assignment as Christians. You know, as Christians, we must remember that we, we are Christians wherever we go. You know, Christian missionaries move their families overseas, you know, at great cost financially, sometimes risking their lives. Why? Because they genuinely care about people. And as Christians, we must exhibit the same concern for people whom we discuss and spend time with. Politics should never be done in a way that, 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 that gets away from this. Our, our sharing of life should never be done in a way that gets away from our primary mission. 
We should always be looking to break society's ability to classify us as hypocritical, as bigoted, special interest people because we have the truth. We have the word. And John didn't make it about himself. He made it about Christ. And that is true for all of us. It's true for our church. And that is definitely true for our lives as well. So I pray that that happens in our lives. Seventh thing I want you to see here. Seventh thing is that the word came into the world that he created. You know, verse 9 kind of anticipates verse 14. The true light, the real light, uh, has come into the world. And that's what we know. And it enlightens everyone. What is at stake is, is, is the revelation. The light has come into the world with the incarnation of the world. It's an invasion of true light. It shines on every man and it divides the race. In John's Gospel, it is repeatedly the case that light shines on all and forces a distinction. In other words, the light shines upon every man, whether he sees it or not. So the ones who embrace that light are distinct and separate from those who don't. So the true light gives light, and it comes into the world. Jesus came into the world that he created. There are a lot of stories and philosophy and mythology where gods came down into the world. So there's always people who say, well, pastor, what's the difference between those and, and our God? Well, our God died for us. Our God is the only true God, the only real God. He made the world, the cosmos, and yet amazingly, the, the, this, the, this world did not know him. This world did not recognize him. Isaiah 53 reminds us that he had nothing beautiful about him that we should adore him. Yet, we are told that Jesus came despite that. He came despite the fact that we wanted nothing to do with him in that case. But it gets worse. Notice number eight here is that the word was rejected by the world and the word was rejected by his own people. The word came to do what rightly belonged to him as creator. He came to set things right. But, but, the, but it, this world did not recognize, did not want to know its maker. Again, the world... Uh, as a human person in view, it has all people who, who are outside Jesus Christ in view here. But verse 11 gets a little bit more specific. He came to his own people, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish nation of Israel, and they rejected him. In fact, it says there, they did not receive him. They did not receive him. They didn't want him. They didn't care for him. They didn't want anything to do with him. You may recall back, I think in 2005 or so, uh, the Passion of Christ came out. Um, Mel Gibson, I, I went with several friends several years ago to watch that at the opening night. And you know, there was big controversy back in those days because Mel Gibson, being highly Catholic, I believe he was, something of that sort, uh, blamed the death of Jesus on the Jews. And, and the Bible makes that clear. But in popular culture, as, as well-received as that movie was, that was a controversial thing. But it's true. The Jewish people reject Jesus. If you go to a Jewish person today and say, who is the Messiah? They won't say Jesus. They'll say what you're expected to say as a Jew, that he's still coming. And so Jesus came to his own home, but they would not welcome him in. The life came, but they preferred his death. The light came, but they, all of us, preferred darkness over him. The world belongs to Jesus, and Israel especially belongs to Jesus, and they said both, they both said, we don't want you, Jesus, get out of here. And so they crucified the Lord of glory. Number nine, the word makes us children of God when we receive and believe in him. Notice verses 12 and 13. 
Verse 12 is the apex, the, the, the Mount Everest, the, the, the high point of this opening. It is the one of the clearest statements in all the Bible about how simply people can be saved. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to hear this. It says, but to all. There's no exclusion here. Everyone is welcome. There's a promise here. All are invited. doesn't matter who you are. Who did not receive him who believed. Receiving him and believing him are basically the same thing. You trust in him. You trust in Jesus. You have faith in Jesus. You do all those sorts of things. But the one thing you need to know is that it's only Jesus that saves. Because it says next, it says his name. This person, who he is, and what he has done. The rest of John will reveal this refers to Jesus' sinless life, his perfect life. There's no sin in Jesus. It refers to his marvelous works, his death, his burial, his bodily resurrection, and, and his ascension and forgiveness of sins. You know, John 20, 31 is a nice compliment to John 1, 12. It says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is kind of the purpose or the, the thesis statement of John there. But we receive the right, the authority, it says in verse 12, to become adopted children of God. And when we receive Jesus as Savior, we become those things. Galatians 4.4, 4, um, in the fullness of time, Jesus is born of a virgin, born under the law, so that we might become children of God. Look, this salvation, though, is a sovereign act of God through the regeneration of the new birth. And then verse 13 makes clear, the new birth is nothing but an act of God. It's not by will or might or plans of men. If you're saved, Christian, today you are saved because as John said later, we love because he first loved us. You are saved because God sovereignly elected you and chose you and, and called you out before time began. What a wonderful God we serve. Verse, or, or number 10, I want you to see this in verse 14, is that the word Jesus became human and lived among us, and we saw his glory. We saw his glory. In verse 12 is kind of the, the Mount Everest of this passage. Verse 14 is, is the Mount Everest, the high point of what it means for Christ. It teaches us that there was a time, it teaches us that though there was a time when Jesus was not, there was never a time when the Son was not. There was a time when the human, when, when Jesus was not a human, but there was never a time when he ceased to be God. And that's such an important distinction. Because he came down, he entered time and space for us. The Greeks were on to something with their concept of the, uh, the word or the logos, but it was incomplete. John uses it here in such a different way. It's a masterful bridge inspired by the Spirit to speak to both the Jewish and Greek cultures uh, that, that John lived in and was witnessing too. The term itself was well known, but John fills it with new meaning. The Greek word logos was reason and an it. John is the word and a person. The Greeks, uh, the Greek word, the logos, was unreachable, but John's came down here and we saw him, John said. John's Word is a God, is a personal, visible communication to humanity in revealing and redeeming power. The Logos does not explain Jesus, the Christ, the Son, but it fills the concept with new meaning. Is that the Word became flesh and He dwelt, He pitched His tent, or in the old King James, He tabernacled among us. 
Or as one modern translation says, he moved into the neighborhood. I think you get the point. And what did we see? It says in verse, it says there that we saw his glory, the glory of the only, the, the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Put it this way. In Jesus the Son we saw unfold, display the greatness, the goodness, and the glory of God the Father. And that is what is trying to be communicated as it goes through. When you watch Jesus in action, you're watching, when you watch God in action rather, when you, when you watch Jesus in action, you're watching God in action. When you hear Jesus teach, you hear God teach. When you come to know uh, what Jesus is like, you know what God is like. Look, if you don't worship if you don't worship Jesus, you don't worship God. As Jesus said in John 5, 23, quoting him here, he said, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So uh, this, the, 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 the ramifications, the implications, the, the what it means for us for this is huge. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Once you see, number one, that the Word brought us grace and truth. Verse 14 tells us that the Word, Jesus, is full of grace and truth. Verse 16 tells us that his fullness, we have received grace upon grace, and the glory of God is revealed in connection with grace and truth. And in Exodus 33 and 34, you may remember that passage. We see the context for this, that, 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 that the glory of God passed by Moses, and he came by, and Moses saw his backside, if you will. But those who are God's children, by receiving and believing in Jesus, receive grace upon grace, Blessing upon blessing, waves of grace after waves of grace. It just keeps coming. They, they, you know, they never end. And that's the amazing thing. It never ends. God is gracious to us and is also true to himself. When his son came, he's full of grace and truth. When Christ died, God was being true to himself because sin was being punished. And when Christ died, God was also, though, being gracious to us because Christ bore the punishment not us. And so when you get to verse 17, verse 17, you, you, we should be reading that with verse 16 or we may misinterpret it and think it wrong. The law was a gift of grace and truth, but Jesus Christ is another, even greater, a higher, uh, a, a, a bigger step up, the greatest step up of grace and truth. Moses gave us a good gift of grace and truth, but Jesus Christ gave us another and even better gift. Moses may, may have mediated the best gift. He recorded the law. But John 1.18 says that Jesus is vastly superior by providing the presence himself. Moses gave us manna from heaven. Jesus himself was the true bread from heaven. Moses wrote about Christ, but Christ actually was the one who came down to give us himself. Christ was Christ. The law of Moses was the word of God. But Christ was God the Word. And this is the sort of contrast that John wants us to see. The whole point, just like the book of Hebrews, is the vast superiority of Jesus over Moses. And the focus is on the glory of God. Moses glimpses the back of God's glory, but Jesus embodies the fullness of his glory. Look, there is an infinite difference between Moses the creature and Christ the creator, between Moses, the pointer of the grace, and Christ, the performer of grace. And that's what we know. The last thing I want to share with you is this, is that the word was interpreted for us, the word interpreted for us, the glory of the Father. No human in their fallen state, no, none of us could ever look upon the undiminished 
deity of Jesus or God and live, but John's simple and direct statement has ample biblical support. In verse 18, However, with the coming of the Word, with the coming of the Son, with the coming of Jesus, a new day has dawned. Things have changed. We've seen the glory of the only Son, full of grace and truth, in the Incarnation. The Incarnation, of course, being that Jesus Himself came down for us. But further, the Beloved Son, who for all eternity has been closest in the most intimate relation of the Father, has broken the barrier and torn down the wall so we can see Him. And that's why he says in verse 18, the only God is a clear and direct declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's distinct from the Father. He has, he has made known the Father in whose bosom we rest. And, and he rests as well. And Jesus has, has shown us God. Jesus is the narration of God in words. He, he, he lists those seven discourses, the I am statements, and, and the works and the this, this miracles, he's revealed the Father. But just to sum this up, simply put, if you want to see God and know God, look at Jesus. He tells us all about him. Look, as we wrap this up, I just want you to see these truths. I want you to know these truths. That light looked down and he saw darkness. And he came down anyway. Life looked down and saw death. But when he came down, he brought life. Uh, love looked down and, and saw hatred, but when he came down, he, he brought his love. Friends, we have no greater strength right now in these times than to remind ourselves about who this God is. Some of you are at home watching this, some of you are going to listen to this on the website. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you need to remember this, is that our God reigns supreme. Take him your prayer requests, take him your needs, take him whatever you got. He's able to handle it. Refresh yourself in these truths. Remind yourself who Jesus is. Rest in whatever comes your way. He is in charge. Whatever befalls you, nothing surprises him. He is with you. Stay the course. Don't quit. As we said last week, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain. Christian, the victory's already been won. Doesn't mean you just get to rest for all eternity. Go in boldness to share the gospel of Christ. Pray for those without Christ, especially this holiday season. If you're not a Christian, this word is very clear. The word of God is very clear about the word Jesus Christ. There's one way to heaven. You have sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. There's no way to be saved except through Him. You must repent. You must 180 turn from your sin and come to know Him. Friend, if you need to know more about what it means to know Jesus, let me tell you, He resurrected from the dead. He's the only one who's busted out of the grave on His own. He's coming back in glory. He will judge the world in righteousness, but He loved the world so much that He gave Himself that whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, will not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for this opportunity to gather. Lord, we thank you that in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we have all things for life and godliness. Father, I know this may just seem like a pie-in-the-sky sermon to someone right now listening to this. But Father, I pray it goes even further than that. I pray they see you high and lifted up. For those watching without Christ, may you be glorified. Draw them to you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, my name is Darren Smith. On behalf of the staff at Tower View Baptist Church, we're grateful to, uh, that you joined us. Uh, we always welcome you to our drive-in service every Sunday. Uh, and you can find details at our website, towerviewkc.com. If there's any way we can pray for you or serve you, we'd love to do that. We love you all. We're praying for you all. Tower View members especially, thank you for your continued support. May God be lifted high and glorified. I'm going to sign off here now. Guys, God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.